Hi everyone, this is Chantal Lavo and Kim Pillay for Wise Matter, and today we're going to be talking about workshops, how to prep for one, run one, and document one. Cool. Okay. Hey Chantal, how's it going? Hey, great. And you? Awesome. Well, we almost had a, a little oopsie where we started chatting and forgot to record. That would have been fun. <laughs> <laughs> and half an hour later, we're like, yay! <laughs> Uh, so look I think something that that we're always interested in as researchers is um, how can we plan and mitigate for, for scenarios and I think that's where we're the over planners of everything you know so I think the planning for the workshop but I think we what becomes super interesting is you can plan and then you get into the session and it's just like with so many different personalities things can go so many different ways and when you step into that workshop, it almost feels like you're a mediator as well as a facilitator and the researcher. Um, and also you're trying to keep like an unbiased approach as you go through the whole thing. Um, so I'm interested to know how you go about your workshops. Yeah, I think you're, you're, you're totally right. You know, you're facilitating, you're... Um just moderating everything you're trying to get all those personalities to work together and there's a history of a relationship in in most of the workshops that we do too um and you can't discount that and and how it impacts the the outcomes um but i think it's always such an interesting space like how do you make sure that uh conversationally when people are in breakaway groups that that group is fair in terms of dynamics because if you put somebody's boss in that group then there's a silence that happens or there's a pulling away it's also trying to make sure that the loudest voice is not the most heard voice and that the, the quiet voices come in um so you're right it's it's reading the room it's constantly being very aware and reading the room i think it all comes down to prep and trying to find ways to pull people out like working cross-culturally um, it's much easier to get, uh, for example, when working in Mexico, it's much easier to get Mexicans to, to speak than it is to perhaps get people from more quiet nations speaking and coming together. Um, and so that's always a really interesting thing is that cross-cultural engagement between people also has a big impact. Um, but finding ways to bring everybody into the room and finding ways for them to be present, finding ways for them to work in groups that suit them. You mentioned something very interesting about how you try not have the, the most senior person take control of the room. How do you mitigate that? Um, it depends on the relationship I have with the senior person. Um, I can I can speak to them on the side and go, you are the senior person in this room and so you will be felt in a different way. Um, sometimes I place them together or I exclude them from the workshops depending on the hierarchy. You know, so if there's people that are very far away from that senior person, then I'd rather run a small workshop with that group of people and, and then take it into, into a bigger workshop with, with others. Um, because it does, you know, as researchers, we constantly have to be aware of what kind of biases that are being brought into the research and rather run several workshops and gather the, the information that way than run a large workshop that's tainted by a very particular kind of thinking. Because um, in a way, we're, we're truth bringers. Um, and, you know, if you're, if you're not mitigating for those factors, then are you, are you doing your job? Truth bringers, that sounds like, 
like the Avengers or the Justice League. I love the sound of that. <laughs> it's a band of researchers that come together to to save the world. <laughs> <laughs> that would be nice. I don't think anyone's interested in reading the reports, though. I think more people are interested in reading the super weird graphs from fake news. Um, <laughs> but, um, but yeah, and I think that's 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 always a challenging thing, you know, is um, truth is also, it changes because as circumstances change, truth changes. That's why, that's why user research is so important and continual contact points. And those are several over a company. They're not just workshops, they're usability tests, they're analytics, they're online store reviews, they're social media interactions. There's so many places that research um, should be getting and drawing information from to ensure that we're, we're you know, we're, we're really we're pushing for the middle ground and we're building for the middle ground, but we're taking note of all the, the outsides, you know, the outliers, because the outliers are also where very niche products can come from. Um, so yeah, it's a, it's an interesting space. How do you prep for workshops? I plan a lot in advance and I think it depends. Like you said, it depends on the team and the relationship you have, but where I currently am at NetBank, I work with a new team almost every month or every two months ish. Um, and with that, there isn't really a, a big relationship that's formed. So it's about initially I'll do like an intro session, which isn't really a workshop as such, but it's, it's more on, okay, guys, this is research and this is kind of, this is presenting on the research plan and the roadmap and opening the floor to potential questions that people have at the start, rather than having those potentially form into internal biases that people can have about research without having them aired early um i think one of my favorite is the synthesis workshops because and i think what's interesting is when i started doing it i started doing it obviously to because i was super excited about findings and i wanted people to to hear about it and to see that raw type of uh to be immersed in that raw data before that big playback report you know and i think what, what really helped what i found that helped with doing those synthesis workshops was that people felt involved and it wasn't like they received that in playback and they're like, but, but why, why do people think this? You know, how did they get there? I think they feel like they're on that journey with you. You're walking them, walking them through the whole thing and they feel a lot more involved when they can see and, 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 for, and they're, it feels like they're forming those patterns themselves. Meanwhile, you've set the, the tone for the session and perhaps you've done some synthesis on your own. So you already know, what those clusters and themes are from your own thematic analysis. But I still think like, I still take that time out and I don't consider it a waste of time at all. Like I still take that time out to walk them through it and have them come to realizations as a team. And sometimes they, they come up with better realizations because they know the product better than I do. As a researcher, I come in and I think it's, it's, it's super different for you. Like you work on, uh, you're working on a, on a, at a company that works on, and you're working on one product. Um, but I think, and it's, it's interesting that you work different cultures, but with me, I'm coming in from like a very external perspective to a team that knows their product extremely well. It's, it's that, okay, I can teach you about your user, but at the end of the day, they do know their product better. And, you know, I think we, we have to give teams credit for that as well. Yeah, that's really interesting. I, Cause I had, when I freelanced, I worked on different products all the time with different teams in different companies. Um, and a lot of it uh, was new product development. And it's super interesting how what the product is changes the user. 
So even, even just being like, oh, we know our user, but do you know your user in this context? Um, mm. And constantly checking in. Um, but it's, can you unpack for our listeners what, what you mean by synthesis workshop? General process would be that you would run your research, however it may be, whether you're doing observational work, whether you're doing interviews or even a UT, so a usability test. After that, you're sitting with a whole lot of raw data. How did people find your onboarding? Did people choose healthy food over unhealthy food? Did people like the customer service in the restaurant? You know, like whatever your actual criteria is, you're sitting with all that raw data. And your synthesis session is where you bring all your stakeholders, all your people in the team that you've been talking to from your UX designer, your UI designer. Um, if you're lucky, your developers are welcome to join as well. Like I motivate for as many people in the team to come, your PO. And you go through granular, you go through actions, you go through experiences, and you start forming clusters. I'm not even going to say themes yet. You start forming clusters where you see a pattern. And it may not always, like for example, here's an, an easy example. One Participant one says, I like tomatoes. Participant two says, I like kale. Participant three says they like cucumbers. Participant four says they like uh, bananas and five says they like healthy food. And when I've shared the, the journey of learning how to synthesize with more junior people, what I, what I see that happens is people would see those as three different clusters. And yes, in an instant, they may actually be, if you're doing a food app and it's very critical, it really depends on your product. Like mm -hmm. it may be critical to, to move those into three separate groups. Uh, but it also depends on those, all, all of those things relate to food as well. So they could easily show one cluster as well. And as you go, you start forming, you're like, okay, this shows uh, everyone within this age group likes eating more fast food. Okay, okay, let, let's not try and find a solution just yet. They like eating fast food, that's okay. Let's leave them there. A view that where it goes too fast is when you push that and you try to come up with a solution. Oh, they like fast food because they're young and they don't have time. And they're, or they like fast food because they're always out partying. And I think that's where you're almost pushing it too soon. And synthesis is about being comfortable in that rawness of just segmenting and understanding that data and not coming to solutions too fast. Yeah, that's a really good point. Because I think that's people see synthesis workshops as a, Oh, okay. And now we know, we know this thing. Now we know it. It's okay. We know it. Um, yeah. And it's like, no, we're just, we're, we're finding out more. We're learning more. This is just part of the journey. When you run your workshops, do you, do you use break breakouts? Do you, how, how are you doing it? And how did you do it before everything went remote and now that everything is remote? Yeah. So before, when I was doing it on site, I would gather everyone together. We'd, we'd go and we'd book a boardroom and we'd have that um, like stick up post-its and I would have a table full of markers, paper. I would leave it very free for everyone. We would go through, let's say we'd go through recording one or we'd go through participant one and we'd listen to that recording. We'd go through everything and they would be sticking down and maybe we'd come up with categories as we go. So it wasn't a structured, okay, these are our four categories, you guys can stick. But it's not to say that that's the, the best way. I think also you gauge with your, your team and maybe as a researcher, you've shortened down 
the time prior to that because you only have half an hour or 45 minutes with your team. But I generally do like two hours in the sessions. Um, and yeah, I look forward to doing those in person again. But right now what I've been doing is I've been doing it on Trello. So what I think we'll do is we'll share the link for where I got the inspiration from. And it's a medium article that I read that showed how you can do your synthesis by creating a participant per card and color coordinate all of that. And you can put their comments and feedback and little diagrams and imagery. I've really enjoyed doing it through Trello. And I think the team has as well, because it gives them an opportunity to ask questions per participant, per answer. Yeah, that's a really good way to do it. Um, I'm, I'm using Miro, um, which is a whiteboard uh, and you can do polls and post-it notes and you can put images on. And, um, and that's, that's really helping a lot with um, the remote style of, of workshopping at the moment. But I think you're right. It, it, you require time. Um, and in a time crunched world, that's quite difficult to find, you know, to, to bring that many salaries into a room. Um, and that's always, you know, the cost of that meeting can, can balloon. So who do you normally have in, in, I don't know, a user persona workshop perhaps, or, um, like you were saying, usability testing, when you're synthesizing, who do you bring into those rooms? Is it based on what information you want? Is it, how do you build that out? those roles? Um, yeah. So look, I tend to bring all the people who are important on the project. So I would bring the designers, the PO, uh, and I think development as well would be invited, but often their time in, in a company where I work with everyone, like a lot of people are contractors and billing per hour. They don't necessarily invite the software engineers to those meetings. Um, so I think a lot of the time it ends up being designers, design leads, um, and PO, which I still think is very beneficial. It's really great for them to understand how the product is being interpreted by the users. How do you often do them? As many people as I can um, in, in the roles that are pertinent, uh, very much. Um, and I try to keep the structure quite flat. So even if there are um, you know, higher levels, I try to put that in as a um, rules of engagement. Um, and rules of engagement are, it's a completely flat structure. We're allowed to, we're allowed to argue, we're allowed to debate, we're allowed to have a discourse around these, um, especially because kind of the, the closer you are to the client, the better. And I think that dev is so important to those discussions. And it is, it's, it's challenging when you can't get them into the room because you need at least one or two that can take that persona forward or that research forward and, and have it live within the team, especially in the standups. Um, and to, to have that, it was really interesting with the company um, I've been with how the developers have changed massively when they've been a part of even witnessing a usability test, just watching a usability test, watching a user battle um, and how that shifted their understanding of the product and the role the product has, because it's, we automatically have empathy for people when they battle with technology. We don't want to be adding more challenge to anybody's life, especially not with something that should actually simplify. That's our intention. And so bringing those, even if it's just a recording or just bringing them in in some form is really helpful. In terms of documentation, because like you're saying, we, we can't always have everyone we want in that room. How do you provide the documentation or how do you wrap it up? How do you visualize it for people? Uh, I actually think being remote has actually helped more 
in terms of the documentation of the workshop process, because like I said, I've been using Trello. I've been, I actually have been using Miro and Miro is great. It's really, it's amazing. And considering it's free as well, it's such an amazing tool. Um, so yeah, I've been using Miro as well and I'll share access with everyone in the team on the board and I'll try and leave the board up for at least like a month after and if they can copy it over to their own tools or whatever, that's fine. I think from the perspective of the Trello, that's also great because it, it's like a fully fledged board that they can go in and look at. And then often what I do is I screenshot the actual board or the Miro or whatever, and I put it into the final report just to get everyone back to, and, and before I go to the final, finalized findings, I'll say this was our synthesis process. These were the people involved. And I think it also helps to, Later on, if there's someone new in the team, they can go back and be like, oh, okay, here's a synthesis thing. Here's a screenshot of it. Maybe it's not the full thing, but there's the link below where I can go look at the full thing. Mm. Or these are the people I can talk to that have access to it. And whereas in person, what I would do is a lot of that, like what I said, it would be in a boardroom. We'd be sticking notes up. We'd be making like little rough drawings. And, you know, it would be very rough. We'd take as much photos as we could. Um, often I would let the team take all those raw like scribbles and wireframes or whatever we like the, the clusters of information and the thematic analysis that we did, I'd let them take all of that if they wanted it. Yeah. That's so interesting how that's changed. The visualization has shifted more and more digitally. I really love that uh, taking screenshots and putting it in presentations just to give that like this is the raw data. This is where it all came from. It did come from somewhere. It came from an, an exercise that, that we did. Um, so in terms of taking all of that raw documentation and those presentations, who do you send that on to? How do you, how do you get it out into the broader company? Uh, that's a very interesting question because I work at a bank. So it is the biggest issue ever, actually, because... The bank has lots of issues around sharing through obviously your personal emails and no saving on the cloud mm. and you can only use internal service, but because we have Macs, it kind of makes it a little tricky. So we, I think we use Slack a few times and what I tend to do is I hand it over to the team and then they put it on their um, Microsoft Teams groups, which then they have access to. But something I've also worked on is making my final deck, playback, presentation, report, whatever you want to call it, as small as possible, because then it can be sent by mail. And my goal is that it's not this huge file that someone has to walk up to you with a USB or airdrop that you can just email it to whoever needs to see it. I don't want the size of the file to become the constraint that people don't see it because of. So, so yeah, that's, that's kind of, how I'm doing it now. And yes, I think here and there it may sacrifice on image quality if I have like an image here and there, but that's not the goal for me, right? Like mm. that image, the cover page and the end page isn't the goal. So I'm willing to sacrifice on that, on those little things here and there. You're completely right. I totally agree. I, you know, it's, it, our aim is to get people to empathize with the user and the least path of resistance is the, is the best. So how do, how do you get that to somebody in the easiest format, the, the most easy to read, the, the best way for them to digest it so that it's usable? Um, it should never be like a whiz-bang 
presentation, it should be in you know natural language speak, it should be easy to transmit, it should be the, the work around it should be incredibly transparent. Um, and it also helps for me because people come up with questions out of the research that is done. So they'll read something and then they'll ask deeper questions of it. And that builds out the research so much more and builds out the product and the strength of what we're offering people so much more, I think. Um, and you're right, like you, uh, it does depend. Personas, I really like to have flashcards. I like somebody to look at a flashcard and understand more than they did before seeing that. Um, so very quick. Uh, usability tests, I find uh, d designers want an uh, image of, of, of what the person was speaking to and comments. You know, devs like a spreadsheet, product managers also like a spreadsheet because then they can pull it into Trello or they can create their own uh, way of gridding it um, and going, this is what we'll use and this is what we won't use. And a lot of the times people decide on this is what we can go forward with and not based on sometimes the technology that is available or where they are in their planning for rollouts. And so I love Excels because they have this amazing or a sheet, a Google sheet, because it's an amazing way for people to make their own notes and really understand it and color it um, as they want. So that's, yeah, that's how I kind of document. It really does depend on the workshop. It depend, depends on what the activity is, what the artifacts are that come out of that for me. But like you said, artifacts that come out of workshops, artifacts that come out of any activity or intervention that research has or testing has in the environment with the user, it really needs to make sense to, to what that activity was and then who that activity speaks to. And so it's, it's really interesting as a researcher, we've always got to keep our users in mind on both sides, right? On the side of who we're speaking to, our actual users of our product or service, but also who we're delivering this information to. And we've got to make sure that it gets there in, like we said, the path of least resistance. Yeah, yeah, I think that's so true. And I think often in, in the UX space, we often think our, our only users are our end users. And I think it's always best to be thinking of stakeholders and team members that we're collaborating and coexisting with on these mini projects that we work on. Um, look, I think maybe below we'll, on the article, we'll share a lot of different methods and ways to do workshop. Um, we'll also, I think maybe we'll even do one or two more, uh, podcasts where we go into a type of workshop per session. We can maybe do that another time as well. Definitely. Um, yeah, we've both been doing a lot of persona work lately and archetype work. It'll be really good to share our experience around that. Yes, yeah, that's a nice idea. Yeah, I think we will do that. That's a cool one. Cool. Do you have anything else to add, Chantal? No, this was, this was really great. And like you said, we'll add all those links that we found really useful in the article and, and in the posts. Awesome. Okay, Thanks for cool. spending time with us. Yes, thanks for listening.